regular guest of Rankin Review and of course your host and random Canadian Larry Parsons were lucky enough to be able to celebrate Halloween twice in 2023. What you're about to hear was recorded in a dirty chilly spring of 2023 in anticipation of the Halloween to come and uh, as usual you should go into the podcast expecting there to be spoilers and coarse language particularly from me. Six movies are themed on Halloween And Lee and I love Halloween more than any adult men probably should. If you want to send me feedback, you can do that by sending it to rankinreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. The site is rankinreview.ca, because I'm up here in Canada. But you should probably check it out. And if you want something else to plug into your ears, check out the Terror Table podcast check out a lifetime of hallmark and check out the shelf shedding movie show hosted by my good friend mr jason dubray happy halloween listeners now let's enjoy the latest episode of rank and review happy halloween mr beckman hey 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 (laughs) what's up my halloween homie it's funny because people always use the month of october to like oh i'm gonna watch all the horror movies i can i'm just gonna like overfeed every month is halloween for you and i (laughs) so in 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 interest of you know full disclosure we're recording this well before halloween we're having a little early halloween celebration a spring halloween it's not turned green yet, actually. Everything still looks sort of dead and dirty. You could almost trick your mind into saying that it was fall, but no, yep. it is spring. Dude, it's there's snow here. Like, it snowed hard a couple of days ago. Mother Nature's being a dick. Yeah, yeah no, she can be a bitch sometimes. Yeah. We had the snow, too, but it's mostly been melting off, so... Have you? Oh, no. But we've had plenty of Halloweens. About 50% of the Halloweens I've weathered in you know, in Saskatchewan have had snow, so yeah. it's a different kind of thing for us. You can't get away with the uh, mini, mini, mini fabric on your on your Halloween costume. you got to be warm. <laughs> you gotta, yeah. you got to factor that into your costume selection if you're really yeah. going to take your trick-or-treating seriously. I know you love horror movies, so you like Halloween for that, but do you have a special feeling about the season of Halloween or specific maybe movie like routines that you do on the Halloween season? 
I know maybe none of these ones necessarily make that list, but are there essential Halloween movies for you? Oh, well, Halloween is my favorite holiday. I think even as a kid, I just, I loved it just that a little bit more than Christmas, which is strange because, you know, Christmas you get presents, but Halloween, um, I I mean, (laughs) shocked to say that, you know, I'm a little bit dramatic there, Larry. Um, So I always loved dressing up and then, a holiday where you go around the community and you knock on your neighbor's door and get free candy. And like, sometimes they scare you. Yeah. And then when you get older, you start watching horror movies. Um, like what's not to love. And like, now that I'm a parent and I get to like share the joy with my daughter, like we, we look forward to carving the pumpkin, you know, a couple of days before every single year we put on scary music and Maya's just starting to get to the age where that she's starting to get that horror movie itch. I, I sort of tarnished it early because I tried to show her Jurassic Park and it, it and it, I did it too early. It's a so scary movie. Of... It's a scary movie for a grown up, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I've set myself back. But her friends are starting to get into horror movies, and I can, and I can see her getting like more and more curious. I have I have it locked down. Like on Father's Day, she can't escape it. She has to sit and watch Jurassic Park. The only thing is, is that she gets she get like she's beginning to make up right now. So the trade off is she gets to doll me up, and I get to like hold her down in in the basement and watch Jurassic Park. So this yeah, is how it's awesome. actually going to play out. Just so just so I could say that I called it. Yeah. She's going to make you look like a like a whore, a pretty whore, but a yeah. whore, and she's not going to watch Jurassic Park with you. <laughs> Probably. She's going to punk out early. Yep. Yeah, she's, that's what's going to happen, actually. She's running the show. The same thing would happen if it was me, by the way. I'm not judging you by that at all. I'm just, I'm just no, recognizing no. the world order as it exists. You're, you're, you're keeping it real. You're keeping it real. My Halloween thing, and it goes back to when I was a kid, is how everything was backwards on Halloween. Like, all, none of the rules, not only did the rules not apply, but you did the opposite of the rules. Normally, you don't get to stay up late. Halloween, you get to stay up late. Normally, you can't eat as much candy as you want. Yeah. Halloween, you can eat as much candy as you want. Normally, you avoid strangers, and you don't talk to them, and you don't, don't trespass on people's property. And this night, you wear a costume, and you go door to fucking door. And yeah. your parents don't even, like, after a certain age. When I was a kid, I was free-ranging it, you know? And yeah. uh, the kind of bizarre absurdity of the event struck me at a fairly young age. And for that reason, I love Halloween. I love it as, like, a rebuke of the rules. Like, I'm not. it's not the purge or anything like that. I'm not going to go yeah. around committing random murders or anything like that. But I like the idea that, like, for a day, you know... Yeah. <laughs> misbehave in air quotes you know civilly misbehave (laughs) considering the routines and rituals of halloween i'm surprised more disaster events haven't happened i mean obviously some things have gone on throughout history like we've got there's that running gag where people have put like razor blades or poisonous candy in kids candy and now we're supposed to come up in in one of the movies Yeah, and it's coming in movies, and now uh, we're supposed to check our, you know, kids' candy. Um, But, yeah, you're right. Considering all the sort of social rules uh, that we tell our children, Halloween, like, openly defies it. It really, really does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
what movies do you, uh, and a shout out to Jason DeBray and your man's and your boy Scott. Scott um, does this uh, every year and he makes a calendar and sends it to his fa- uh, his uh, social media friends on you, you got to watch a horror movie a day. Uh, and he's got like a specific requirement, like a trauma video or an 80 sequel. Um, those two represent. Yeah, I have to. Yeah. Um, and I mean, that's doing Hall- that's doing Halloween. Absolutely right. Um, I, I, it's a hard thing for me to commit to a movie every day. Uh, we, we, you know, but um, uh, yeah, no hats off to them. Uh, going back to the question that I asked you that you neglected to answer, which Sorry. I will ask to answer on your behalf. Some of my Halloween tradition movies, this may seem easy, but I, I just, I can't endorse it enough. Uh, Mike Doherty's Trick or Treat. Yep. That, that anthology Halloween movie is so good that it actually kind of renders, you know, movies like, not to get into it early, All Hallows' Eve kind of unnecessary, <laughs> right? Like, it, it's yeah. the Halloween movie for me, aesthetically. Uh, and yeah. yeah, obviously Halloween, but not necessarily the first one. Usually it'll yeah. be the first or the second one, but it's usually some point in the Halloween season, I will watch a Halloween movie. <laughs> yeah. I mix it up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And usually there's um, always a big new release coming out or like a some new movie that I can introduce myself to in the spirit yeah. of the season. And yeah. of course, like every other month, I'm watching a butt ton of horror movies. So, yeah. But uh, those are mine. Do you have any you'd want to throw out there? Uh, well, I have the classic John Carpenter's Halloween. Um, whether I intentionally watch it or it's on a TV channel, I, I seem to watch it every single year. Um, I do try and pick a new horror film, usually one that I've missed throughout the year, specifically for Halloween. Julian and I take turns where one Halloween, um, Julian will take my out for a little bit. Uh, and then the next Halloween, and I stay home and hand up the candy and watch a horror film that way. Uh, but usually it's me that takes Maya trick-or-treating because we both love it. And Maya's at the point where, like, she can go three hours and like yeah. not need a break where I'm like, Oh dear God. <laughs> so, um, uh, I try and watch some, uh, a new horror film, uh, that I haven't seen every year, but Halloween, uh, night of the living dead seems to be put on repeat. Um, I think those two tend to really have repeat viewing for me. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I again great such great memories from youth. We used to use pillowcases, and yeah. I remember that the pillowcase would become so burdened that yeah. I would have to run home and empty it, and so I could continue trick or treating. I don't yeah. feel it. I mean, maybe I just live in a bad neighborhood, but I don't feel it as much. Like the kids don't seem as into the trick or treating thing. They like to have Halloween parties. They like the costumes, but the door to door candy thing seems weirdly old fashioned all of a sudden. But um, I love Halloween. I will always love Halloween. And in that spirit, I have put together a list of six movies that you've agreed to help me with. And this yeah. is the uh, this is the middle child of our little Halloween trilogy that we're kind of doing here. Over yeah. the course of three episodes of Rank and Review, we're going to cover the newest incarnation of Michael Myers and Halloween. Um, so before I list these off, is there anything else you'd like to say by way of introduction? And happy Halloween and tis that season. Well, um, to all the listeners who are listening to this, um, happy Halloween. 
may you be full of sugar and type 2 diabetes. <laughs> <laughs> no, wait a second, that's wrong. No, man, um, I, I, I love this time of year. It's, it's just an awesome time of year. Thank you for having me. Let's, let's get into this, man. <laughs> I'd like to dedicate this podcast to Halloween, that spoonful of sugar that helps the bitter medicine of the start of winter go down. <laughs> You know what? That's that's really what it is. Because like after Halloween, then it's November, and, and that's when this like if the snow hasn't come already, yeah. it will be coming. And then it's and like for me, especially as as an elementary school teacher, then it's like okay, then I have to worry about the Christmas concert mm-hmm. and all of that business. It's, yeah, but yeah, yeah. It it's, really is the last sort of lunge of joy before the cold, bitter harshness of, of winter comes. Happy, happy, joy, joy, happy. Great stuff. I started singing today. I beat you to the punch. There you uh, go. Uh, the six Halloween-themed movies, I believe all but one of these are actually set on Halloween, or at least partially set on Halloween. I think they are, man. I think, all if I'm one. not mistaken, all of them really are. Uh, so we're going to start with Halloween Kills, the middle chapter of the new Halloween trilogy, and I think the worst titled of the new Halloween trilogy. Yeah. Uh, we're going to do a movie called Trick that somehow slipped by under the radar considering I'm I'm not like a, a fanboy of like Todd Farmer and uh, Patrick Lussier, but like I, I've liked some of the stuff they did in the past and like this movie's a few years old and I'd like it. It, it, it sprouted like a mushroom. Like I just showed up on a shelf one day and I'd never heard of it. It was weird. Yeah. We're going to talk about an ultra low budget Halloween themed movie called Black Pumpkin. Yeah. We're going to talk about Bloodfest. Um, oh, maybe that one was outside of Halloween as well? Um, I can't remember. But it's, at a, it's a horror-themed I, I anthem I think it park. was because it was, it was a horror movie festival. Right. Uh, All Hallows' Eve, this is the first movie that will have Art the Clown appearing. And it's, uh, it's a Halloween-themed anthology. So it's treading on a bit of sacred ground for me. And yep. they were going to finish it off with um, Black Phone, which made a lot Love of noise. Black Phone. The Black Phone. And uh, I'm a big fan of this director. He did the new Doctor Strange, and he did the Exorcism of Emily Rose, and of course the Sinister. Um, so it's funny, because I've had this for a while, but I didn't give it like a proper, proper pass. Because I'm always being distracted by children and whatnot. It, Tends to happen. Um, I was I was wondering if maybe it was overhyped or if I was underhyping it or what, but uh, I know that one. I don't think you were actually. I I I don't. It's not implicitly Halloween, but that mask. You know that the variations of that are going to show up at Halloween parties if they haven't already. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's something about that cover that said Halloween to me. So. Yep. Yep. Those are the six Halloween-themed movies that Mr. Beckman and I will discuss. Thank you so much for being here, brother. Thanks for having me, brother. Boom. Somebody in there? Michael Myers is alive. Stop! You had a knife in your stomach. You and Allison should not have to keep running. Evil dies tonight. I left the door! I'm not just going to sit and watch another innocent person die. If you track Michael's victims, that's a straight line to Michael's childhood home. What do we do? We fight. Let's 
hunt him down. Michael Myers is flesh and blood. But a man couldn't have survived that fire. The more he kills, the more he transcends. Run! Go home now! He's the essence of evil. second chapter of the David Gordon Green Danny McBride Halloween requel or however you want to call it we, like I say we, we talked Reimagining, about I don't know we talked about it in 2018 nothing is canon except for the original Halloween according to these movies and yep. uh, one of the many things that I will say positive about it is it's one of these sequels that's a very immediate sequel like yep. There's a there's a little preamble before the action kicks in, but when we kick into the main thrust of the uh, movie, it's literally seconds after where we left off. And I, I really appreciate a sequel that'll do that for you. It's the same night, and uh, you know we're still dealing with the consequences of that, and to the good and bad of it. It necessarily kind of shelves Laurie Strode in the hospital. Yep. Because she was seriously injured, and she it, it wouldn't be credible <laughs> otherwise. Plus, obviously, this being that awkward middle child, uh, they can't wrap everything up cleanly. So it, it kind of benches her a little bit for the movie. They try to involve her, but it's, it's in some of those scenes where I feel the momentum of the movie kind of lag a little bit. Yeah, this movie does move. Like it, it's it's a chase picture. I appreciate the pacing. It's actually significantly up paced from the 2018, and I've said before the 2018 respected the lore, and this movie respected the gore, and I will stand by that. I'm pretty sure we have over 30 deaths, in easily over 30 deaths between the the firemen and the mob, the, the sort of the big splashy moments that start and end the movie. Yeah. Um, and honestly, back in the day when my first love for Michael Myers was, it was kind of a juvenile, bloodthirsty thing. I wanted to see Michael Myers do his thing and kill a lot of fucking people. And this movie, for all of its other problems, absolutely brings that. And I re- appreciate it and respect it for that. If like uh, I was about to say, if nothing else, there's lots of other positive things that I will say. But to add to the sort of vitriol that everyone sort of seems to have is that there's some awkward stuff in this middle chapter, mainly having to do with evil dies tonight. Ah. <laughs> uh, First of all, it's a promise that cannot be fulfilled in this movie. Like, we know it's the second chapter. And as much as I get what they're going for with the mob rule and the mob justice and, you know, Anthony Michael Hall, I think genuinely giving it his best with some terrible, terrible, capital T, terrible, bad dialogue. But as I was watching it again this time for the podcast, it also put me in mind 
of Donald Pleasance and some of the garbage dialogue that he had to choke down with a straight face. Oh, God, yeah. Right? So, like, not that that's a plus, not that that's a plus, but it's not necessarily out of character, I'm going to say, for the Halloween franchise. In a way, this felt like an old-school middle chapter Halloween entry, and because of that, I forgave a lot of the extraneous things in it like the mob rule like the red herring like the the you know the uh, prisoner the other prisoner scapey and his grim fate uh, it because we can't get to the conclusion conclusion you can sort of sense the wheels spinning but as these wheels are spinning a lot of a lot of blood's going down and uh, i will hand it over to you i just want to say also them going back to the original movie and them even riskily using a double, both a body and a voice double for Donald Pleasance, that was a ballsy, risky move, and a lot of this like kind of stuff doesn't come off well. Really? I think, no, I think they pulled it off in this case. Yeah. A lot of the time, like the digital de-aging or putting a dead yeah. actor into yeah. the screen, it sticks out and it's weird. It's brief enough and it looks good enough, and the fact that they had a real actor on set... And made everything else look and feel very 70s. Uh, that that helped the credibility of the movie. In fact, it was so credible that it kind of sticks out as better than like the sort of goofy vibe that the rest of the movie has to offer. Uh, I'm sounding mean, but generally speaking, especially revisiting it this time, I actually enjoyed it quite a bit more. Like I was, I knew that the bad spots were going to come, and I accepted them. Whereas the first time, I was like letting the Letting it letting it stick a little, but um, yeah. that's where I start. I'm actually pretty positive on this one. Yeah, well, I, I I'll second that emotion and just sort of up the ante. Um, David Gordon Green has probably made the most expensive and well shot fan made film of all time. The fact that he convinced original creator John Carpenter and horror it boy Jason Bloom along for for the gift slash ride is all the sweet, all the sweeter. It's no secret of my love of the adventures of you know of Mikey and Laurie with the Shatner mask, but like screenwriters Green and Danny McBride, they took some great ideas out of the classic Halloween fan movie website. Like I, I'm positive that like I'm sure they came up with a lot of these ideas in college because uh, those two went to, to film school together. Um, but you can tell that they really, really love the film series. Um, you said that they respected the lore. I think they, uh, like, yes, I agree with you. The gore is beautiful in this movie. Like, it Gloves is... Gloves off. Gloves yeah. off. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there was hints of the brutality. And yes, in the 2018, like, it, it is a violent movie. But, like, the, like bones break. Throats are slashed. People are beheaded. I, I And Michael's sense of humor when he has those little, like when he leaves those little body tableaus, not only with the firefighters, and I love the look on the sheriff's face when he shows up of what the fuck in God's name, but also like the like, and like it's kids this time that are not exempt from Michael's wrath. We see him in the first one not kill that little baby, so Michael clearly has a code. Well, but, he killed the little kid, though. There was, like, that kid was, what, 10 or 12 years old at the beginning of 2018? That's true. And uh, some other kids also bite it here. Um, but they do sort of de- delve de- deep uh, into a lot of the ha- the Halloween lore, most especially. The first movie is clearly about Laurie. Yeah. It's about her 
about Lori and her trauma, where this movie is really all about Michael. And they try and explain what makes him tick, what, what makes him tick without being hitting over the head, much like the sort of um, mob mentality, Evil Dies Tonight storyline, which in theory they could probably jettison. Um, that's pretty heavily handed, but they uh, they try and explain why what is Michael's end game. Um, whether you want to buy it or not, that all Michael really wants to do is go home and stare out the window, fine, whatever, and that he gets his power from his mask. Um, I know in the trailer they had the whole every time he kills, he transcends. I'm glad they didn't really explore that a lot, uh, a lot more. They still leave an air of mystery as to what make Michael's tick instead of going the whole, um, you know, cult of thorn thing. There's still a, a sense of he's just evil. We don't really explain it and you can't really stop it. And I respect that. They and give little hints. It's really tempting to like try to explain it or give an origin, but I feel like the second you do that, it's less scary. If we yeah. don't know and there's nothing we can do, you can't talk to him, you can't reason with him. It's Halloween, so if he sees you, he's gonna try and kill you. You better stay out of his way. Like that's yeah. it. That's the rules to this sort of universe. And well, yeah. that and he seems to be pretty damn unkillable. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you can tell that like they love all of the movies in this series. Uh, the, the, the whole idea of the mob that was explored in Halloween 4 to an extent, I always thought that that was a great idea for a Halloween movie is what happens when Michael comes up against the town of Haddonfield that have dealt with his presence for so long that they finally have enough and they go up against him. And that's what this movie really is. They also wisely have a mixture of, they get the original actors, not only like Jimmy Lee Curtis. The legacy um, characters, the sheriff is back, the nurse is back. Yeah, yeah, so they get the old actors, and that ends an era of love and credibility, even though they've recast Tommy and Anthony Michael Hall, who I actually think does really well. Especially considering some of the lines he is forced it's to choke brutal. down. This dialogue is the weakest part of the script, easily. Yeah, yeah, but um, I think he does quite well for what he's given. But I love that that opening ten minutes where they do flash back to the original night of Halloween. Uh, even the shot composition. Uh, there's that shot where that little boy, and it's the little boy in the original Halloween who gets his pumpkin smashed at school, right? He's one of the ones that was bullying Tommy at the beginning. Yeah. That's the father of the bully boyfriend, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm glad they have him. But there's a shot uh, in the first, you know, in the flashback where he's running, and it's all like the, the shadow of the trees as he's like running past. It's such a beautiful composition. I went, wow! Like here's a here's a talented filmmaker dabbling in genre cinema for good or ill, because I do think there's both good and bad to having someone as talented as David Gordon Green do these films um but it is beautifully shot um one of my complaints of his first like the 2018 was the lighting and man did they fix it in this one not only with the flashbacks but even when they go to present day you've got this beautiful combination of black and orange shot like a film noir uh, and they really understood that uh so I, that was that was one thing i i really noticed with this but I did love, um, but I, I deeply love and respect um, 
the that they respected the lore from the first movie and the characters. Like that was something that I think some people really don't quite get is that in the original Carpenter's Halloween, we all identify or relate uh, and care for a lot of the people, including the kids that die in Halloween. And so since we see them in, as adults and how that night is still affected them, you you feel drawn to them. And another thing I love about this is like even the red shirts that um, that are that are just designed to be killed, like Big Dave and Little Dave, you know, the, the short little movies or little stories in between, they set them up and you care for them in the short amount of time that you see them. Everybody that just, dies almost, really. Except for yeah. like faceless people in the mob, but even like the firemen, they're firemen. They're there to save people and put out a fire. We like them. The old yeah. couple that he kills, like the the one of the the woman gets stabbed in the throat with the bulb, like yeah, it's brutal. And like they make a point, we spend a few minutes with them, we like them, and then they die. Well, terribly. It turns out we find out later one of them actually survived, but. As yeah. far as we could tell in this point, they, they look like they both died. Well, I, I mean, listening to what you're saying, I both agree, but on some levels disagree. Like, I like that they brought back legacy characters and that they spent all that time, like, bringing us back to the past. But it really did feel like they just brought them back to kill them. It's like they couldn't really do much with them and they're not going to use them in the next movie. So it's like they're there to die. The nurse especially, her joke's a little bit of a punchline. And this is the yep. second time she's come back and died yeah. for this franchise. And I don't know, I, 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 I would have liked if it counted a little bit more somehow. And yep. the mob thing would be interesting if they hadn't disregarded every other slasher. But really, Michael killed a handful of people in 1976 or whatever it yep. was. Like this many years later that the community goes that crazy that quickly is not credible. If really? it happened, I don't think so. If it happened periodically, if like every five or ten Halloweens, half the town was like under siege from a mass maniac, maybe. One guy 40 years ago? No. No. Um, no, <laughs> I, I, I bought it. I bought it. Um, the movie yeah. wants you to buy it. And if it was set up a little bit again in the previous movie, but uh, I don't really think it, they justified it. They got Anthony Michael Hall and he tries really hard. We both said like he does the best he can with the material, but the mob stuff is least credible. Even Sheriff Bracken at one point he's against the mob and then he's a, instantly turns around and is absolutely with the mob and it's not really explained or justified. The whole chase to the hospital where even the doctors start foaming at the mouse. I just it was like the third act of Fight Club where the where the cult just went too crazy for me too quickly. Like okay. maybe we could have got them there, but for me, they didn't get them there. This was a necessity of the plot, but it wasn't very credible. But let's be real. How credible is your average sequel to Halloween? <laughs> and what are we here to see? Yeah. Um, I think one of the things, and you, and maybe you you can argue, argue against it, I think that for the most part, him and McBride are successful, is that Michael's evil extends just beyond michael like it, it starts to infect the soil it starts to infect the community um and i think that was one thing that they really tried to push and and i bought it it's something they they, they stuck with in the next one whether you can argue they were successful or not 
Um, I they're also sort of uh, like this is after the George Floyd riots uh, when this movie you know came out. Uh, they were making it and writing it when that was going on. You can argue for ill or not whether that worked. Um, I don't like. I, I doubt that was intentional. I mean, it was a coincidence that it happened at the same time. But I don't think that Halloween Kills is or in any way should be trying to make a statement about the <laughs> George Floyd. Well, see, I think they were. I think they were. Uh, um, you know, ha- the first one is about the Me Too movement and what trauma does. This is to me about how a singular night of awfulness can really affect a community, especially if there's a, a supernatural bend to it. So, I mean, I can I can agree that it's very heavy-handed, the whole evil dice tonight and the hunting down of the other mental patient and the brutal fall from the top floor. Good God. <laughs> um, but um, I bought it. But you can cut that narrative thread out of the movie and lose nothing of the overall arc of the story. No. Uh, for me, it's not about George Floyd. It's not about the mob. It's about Michael Myers killing people. It's called Halloween kills. And when it's doing that, I am on fucking board. Right. And, uh, it's, it's longer. It's bloated. Like for a Halloween sequel, like 90, 95 minutes would be good. It doesn't need to be the size it is. And there's stuff that they could trim out of it. I think that, like I said, the, the, for me, the mob thing could work if it was set up a little bit in the first movie or if like. Like I said, all of these, all of these movies were canon. Then, like this town has just been sieged literally for four decades. You know, yeah. random Halloween massacres have been happening here. Then, yes, I believe the the town finally just losing its shit in one night. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, when it when it's working is where I want to focus on. I also totally called the ending of this movie. I just knew that they were gonna go <laughs> to that, but. Um, yeah. It was the right call and it was like a character that we liked and that was going to change the dynamic for Laurie Strode mo- moving forward. But again, and I'm trying not to color this with we know how Halloween ends turned out. For the fact that it ends up not being such of a much to the next narrative, it seems like a weird crescendo for the movie. I guess because they didn't have any uh, they couldn't think of another big ending. So that's definitely a shocking way to end the movie, but yes, Laurie Strode's daughter does not make the end credits. Yep. And again, as we talked about in 2018, this would have been much more interesting if Laurie Strode had been directly involved in the escape of Michael Myers. Well, yeah, no, I have read more than once that the original plan was it to be revealed that Laurie was the one responsible for letting Michael go in the bus in the first film. Which would have been a cooler choice. It would have been a darker choice, but it would have been a cooler choice. Bill seems to be hinting at this more than once uh, and waiting for it to be revealed later in the story. There's a scene where Officer Hawkins is brought into the hospital into Laurie's room. Right, and there's a patient. Um, and I, I and I just went. They're really dancing around this idea that Laurie was the one that let Michael go on the bus. Um, so I, I am more than I am more convinced that I think when they were going into it, that was the original plan, and somewhere they abandoned it because original plan that, you know, and it never mm. bears fruit, and it would have been really interesting, and it could have led to a really cool third movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I also saw this, like, I saw it in the theater, and I saw it with the right people. Um, it was one of the better cinematic experiences. Like, the theater was full when I when I saw it. 
it was a couple of nights before Halloween. And even though I, I'd seen the trailer numerous times, when Michael comes out of that burning house with the firefighters, the theater erupted. Like just the way he walked out, and then he like, and he had that. I think was that an axe or something. It's meant to break down doors. It's a specific instrument. I don't know what you call yeah. it. Like this is when I think people realized that your main star, especially for this, was Michael Myers. It was a zero was... shot for real. It was like Jason Voorhees on top of the camper in, in Friday the Thirteenth Six. It was like here is our protagonist yeah. moment. <laughs> Yeah, and, and here it was, and we're and this character is going to get rid of the sort of um, cliched stock characters where we kind of cheer him on, um, and this is where to me kills drops the ball a little bit, and it's just choice. When Michael gets beaten badly by the mob, um, and then he gets back up, how they do the montage where Michael is destroying uh, the rest of the townsfolk, um, I thought was a bad choice. It, it should have been like just a longer wider shot beat town where michael just lays a fucking freight train to tommy and the rest of the people but i was actually kind of cheering for michael at that point because the majority of those characters had already crossed the line with the murder of that patience and that's their comeuppances well however bad they were michael myers is clearly worse (laughs) yeah no i'm not i'm not disputing that but they've come but they've been so obsessed with michael um, that they've become monsters themselves, and Michael's is, has come to collect. So, in a sick sort of way, and maybe I'm a sick puppy, but I was kind of cheering for Michael in a lot of ways. Don't well, get me wrong; Michael has to get his comeuppances. I don't. This, I, I don't know. Again, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that I was cheering for him. It was a strangely exhilarating turnaround. But I wish there was a moment that justified it. Because he was losing for so long, and then he gets like savagely stabbed in like the back of the neck, like the brain stem, and yeah. like uh, he's down and there's like bloody, and it looks like you know, uh, and then everybody like stops stabbing him and starts talking amongst themselves, and he just gets up and then just kills everyone. And yeah. it just made the first part of the fight seem a little bit counterfeit, like he was just toying with them or something. Like, yeah. But uh, I did think it was interesting that. Uh, Lori's daughter was killed in, in Michael Myers' old room, in the same, presumably the room, or was that the room he killed his sister? He, it, it was the room in the house, anyway, that uh, he was standing and staring at and surveying the town from. Uh, yeah. It was just kind of an interesting place. There wasn't a good reason for her to go up there. She had this little vision of a kid or something. They gave, like, some weird excuse for her to disappear up there. But, yeah. Again, yeah, that's he not also the stuff tele- that... He also teleports. Like, in one second, he's a couple blocks away, and then also... All of a sudden, he's elsewhere. Yeah, he's up in his room. Yeah. But that's just something that we're going to have to accept with this film series. And and the filmmakers know this. They they know that there's this running gag, and it's the same with Jason. How can Jason appear at one place and then seconds later appear somewhere else? And you just buy it. Yeah. You have to. Or if if you're going into a movie like Halloween Kills, going, that, you know, that can't happen. That's not, that's fake. That's not right. Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to enjoy it. This film is just one giant piece of candy for me. It just really wants to entertain. And it does respect the lore enough and continues enough of that story and the themes that they're going for that it made me made me smile. And for someone who likes lighting and color aesthetics, they get it right this time for me. 
uh, which is one of the complaints I had for the original Halloween. Um, for, for me? I, I, re- I really enjoyed it, but I also saw it with the right people on the right night. Uh, to, yeah. I like the base meat and potatoes, Michael Myers killing people. Like, it doesn't have to be overcomplicated for me. That's the stuff work. I like that they brought Will Patton back because I thought he was dead. And that they brought the asshole boyfriend back and that he got an asshole boyfriend death. Like, uh, for me, that's where it works. For me, it's like a dressed up, big budget, Hollywoodized version of a middle chapter of Halloween. Uh, and in that regard, it maybe thinks it's better than it is, but it's not bad. It just maybe thinks that it's better than it is, in my opinion. Uh, but if I'm in the mood to watch Michael Myers kill a bunch of people, holy shit, is this movie going to deliver for me? And for the few scenes that make me suck air through my teeth, I'm more than willing to put up with that for the entertainment value of the rest. For a film that wants to honor Michael, Rob Zombie take notes buddy like we can say what we want about his versions of halloween we but have th- this this michael is still a towering monster but uh, um but he's not this big hulking mass that zombie had and he's still terrifying uh and and like i said this is a giant love light love letter to the character of michael they embrace the mystery in the way that zombie seemed unable to he had to explain michael myers which as far as i'm concerned cut the throat of his movie from point one yeah and there's no redneck aesthetic and it's not it's not ugly like zombies movies are but it's it's ugly but it's ugly in a not rob zombie way but uh, yeah. I think we should wrap it up because we're starting to get talk about Rob Zombie movies now. Sorry. Sorry, <laughs> Halloween Kills does say. the job. Oh. I think it gets a bad rap, and I know I was pointing out some of the stuff I don't like about it. In yeah. the end of the day, it's a solid Halloween movie that's pretending to be this pedigreed Hollywood number. But like, yeah. it, it actually does a job, better job of the like basic Michael Myers killing people for me than 2018. 2018 yeah. has a way better script. This has way better splatter. You know what? For me, this film is fun, which 2018, as much as I like it, really isn't. Like, it's a good night at the movies. It's not smart, which which I can say, uh, argue with. It's just a meat and potatoes, well-shot, well-structured slasher film that I had a good time at. And if you, like I said, if you love Michael Myers doing his thing, whether it's making body tableaus, which I think is a great sense of humor, or... Him laying the smack down on a bunch of firefighters, or even that, that the sequence with the car where you know he kills brother, the nurse. And, brother, I love you. Half an hour. Okay, all right. Good movie. <laughs> We're just repeating ourselves now. Okay. When Michael Myers kills, it's good. When the crowd shows up, it's debatable. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. People want a monster that they can fear. Get down! You discharge your weapon five times into the guy. How's he still alive? He isn't. 
Fred comes back every Halloween. I've never been a believer. But this, this is pure evil. So it kind of snuck up on me, but I guess I'm a low-key fan of Patrick Lucier. <laughs> like, uh, I don't know. I get cheap thrills out of Drive Angry for whatever reason. It's not a good movie, but it is an enjoyable, fun, bad movie. And I've, I've watched it like three or four times for some reason. Uh, they're My Bloody Valentine. I mean... I, I was a little bit hard on it when I reviewed it on the show, but I was mainly focusing on comparing it to the original, which is sort of a Canadian classic slasher with a lot of sort of form and tact. And whatever you can say about My Valentine 3D, it's it's not that. It's sort of the opposite of that. Uh, and, and of course, Todd Farmer, he who brought us Jason X and many other Cheese Factory screenplays. God love him. God love him. You kind of know what you're going to get, but don't know what you're going to get. Like, they, they seem to like to dance over the line a little bit at times with their their storytelling and go places that are a little bit grosser, a little bit daring. They uh, notably pulled back on the sex for this movie. Yeah. Uh, and it's a hard R-rating movie. It kind of surprises me because there was really no reason for them not to do it. But they chose not to for whatever reason. And... Uh, yeah, like I said in the introduction, this movie just showed up on a shelf some one day, and I didn't even I hadn't heard of it. Just a creepy mask on the cover. I flipped it over and read the back, and was like, "What the hell?" Time was this might have been something that I'd have seen a trailer for, or that like would have been advertised somewhere, or like what the shit. <laughs> or in theaters at least, yep. And uh, I enjoyed it. I think it would be lower on the swing of Lucier's work. Like it's not peak Lucier. <laughs> Like, they can't all be Dracula 2000 or whatever, <laughs> but, uh... You're not speaking ill of 2000 now. No. Um, I will say this about Trick. It starts really, really well. The first act, I think, is, is quite good. And they work really hard to set up this sort of world and the sort of legacy of this the halloween themed killer and everything like that and we actually jump from halloween to halloween with bad shit happening for the first part of the movie so it's structured in a kind of weirdly different way <laughs> and uh i think that the further we get into the movie and you know the more we get into the explanation of what in fact is actually going on the less good and the less sense the movie makes but this is a problem that only comes up after the fact, when you're thinking about it and what you're going to talk about on the podcast, I will confess that while I was watching the movie, I was not bored by it. It was professionally made, and it had moments that put a big old smile on my face. It's not amazing, but it certainly didn't deserve to be completely forgotten or, like, you know, <laughs> just released it, like... It had its world premiere in an island in the middle of the ocean somewhere. <laughs> like, it just, I, it's weird. It sort of speaks to me of the strange age we're entering with movies where there's just so much shit coming out on so many platforms that it's, like, insurmountable to keep up with it. But with the talent involved, it's high profile enough. Jamie Kennedy, the Jamie Kennedy is in this movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I'll get I, to I, him, I and, and, I, and I feel like an idiot 
in, involving him. Right? Right? But well, we'll get to that plot point anyway. <laughs> but yes, yeah. uh, just time-wise, this would have been kind of a deal. And it seems strange that like somebody who keeps their ear to the ground with horror, this would have slipped by. Is it essential viewing? No, it's it's fun enough, but it does have some problems. Yeah, and uh, it wants so much to be a franchise that in its desperate way to sort of make a legacy for the film and build a, a future for it, it's kind of done at the expense of a satisfactory ending to their first movie. <laughs> uh, yeah. But like I say, it starts really well. So that's where I start with Trick. But where are you? How do you feel about this one? So do you remember the 80s and the early 90s when the big budget studios all wanted their their movie monster franchises like Halloween and Friday the 13th and the Nightmare franchises? Who and we would get horror franchise factor. starters like Shocker yeah. or The Destroyer or Dr. Giggles, Larry. Do you remember Dr. Giggles? Everybody remembers Dr. Giggles. Yeah. You know, and those films came and went with like with little fanfare, little fanfare because because they just didn't connect with the audiences, or there was just oversaturation. I ask this because you know the filmmakers of Trick certainly remember that time because that's what Patrick Lussier and Todd Farmer have done. They have made a good old fashioned slasher film that they wanted a film series out of. And you're right, no one knows about this movie, and we, we, we probably won't get it. But that's what they've done. They've tried, you know, they've laid the framework for the, you know, the the rules are set up very quickly in this movie. I, I agree with you. The open the first half of this movie are I was pleasantly surprised. Just because I kind of went in going, oh, this is gonna be like a a low budget slasher film that I'm gonna get bored with. And I was never bored. Um, the killer's too much like ghost space and I noticed right away that uh, wait, wait, what's the character's name? Uh, the, the, our villain, Trick. Trick. It's, yeah, it is just Trick, but his. But he also had a name, right? Like it was Trick, but there was what was his human name? There's a bunch of people. That's sort of part of the problem, right? Yeah. Uh, well, see, you say that it, yeah, it, it, it's, it wants to be Scream. It wants to be Scream so much that in the third act, it becomes Scream. And yeah. stops making any fucking sense. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's one thing is that, you know, the character of Trick, uh, I, I just thought it was a continuity error because clearly he's bigger or smaller in, in certain chase sequences. And I went, okay, like, that's just a mistake. But... No, there's just several of them. <laughs> yeah, there's more than one killer. In fact, there's a whole cult. That's the thing. I, literally um a well it, it is a group of people that want to continue this legend of trick whatever the you know the real person uh, it is a far is. too large group of people that consists yes. of basically every character we know who hasn't been killed except for omar epps and the main protagonist right yeah. and it really doesn't hold up 
Like when you when you're watching the movie and you're going with the movie and you're watching the fun slasher movie, you can say fine. I mean, you yeah. can call it derivative Scream, but even the worst entry of Scream has some sort of math to it that makes sense yeah. who did what when. This movie doesn't even attempt that. And it's been going yeah. on for years. All of these people have been foaming at the mouth crazy for years and have been able yeah. to keep this perfect veneer until tonight where they spill the beans all together for no reason. <laughs> like, yeah, I know. I know. And I'm mad at myself and I... Cause I I, I, I should have seen it. I mean, why else is Jamie Kennedy there? Why else is he there? Because we see him in the opening minutes in the hospital, and then we don't see him at all. And I at first I thought maybe he was just some stunt casting. He, um, he was in Scream. Then, it's sort of a fun genre cameo. No, of yeah. course, he's going to be involved. Yeah. Yeah. But surprise, surprise, he's in on it. And I went, I'm an idiot. <laughs> I'm an idiot. I've seen so many of these movies and I shouldn't just by like the rules of movies should have picked that up. I mean, why else is he there? But I, but I missed it. Well, Um, the fun thing about it, and maybe people can enjoy this is that if you guess who the killer is, you're probably right. (laughs) Like anytime you make a guess, as long as it's not somebody who's just been killed off, you're probably right. They're one of the killers like it. No, no, but I like the mask. I like the aesthetic. I actually wanted to spend a minute on Omar Epps. He's just sort of quietly been really good for his entire career. But, I mean, he made his big payday with the House TV show. But I, I, I really would like to see him get, like, a, a juicy role in a good big Hollywood movie. Because I suspect he's got some real skills under that. He's good in this movie, but... I don't think he's being challenged particularly in this movie. No, and I don't think his character is all that uh, uh, well-written as well. He, he does the best. He's dependable. Who I really like and who's going to be the Cole Hauser Award winner okay. is genre favorite Tom Atkins. Well, okay. Um, we should talk Lucia about lo- Lucy loves to work uh, with his crew and uh, Omar Epps is one, but Tom Atkins is another. He's a force of nature. Yeah, yeah. Uh, every time he's in it, he just lends this sense of credibility. Um, I mean, obviously, most people know him from Night of the Creeps, but every time I see him, whether it was in My Bloody Valentine or this movie, he, he just puts a big smile over my face. He does, but I hate to be this guy. Uh, he he does, it, He just like I was saying about Jamie Kennedy, he's sort of another genre face, and we're happy to see him. But it's it's almost like his presence has become an active wink to the camera. And I also think that his character, like, I, this is mean to say, because I like the guy a lot, but the vibe that is Aitken's hasn't aged well. Look at his character in Halloween 3. We even talked about it. Like, objectively, he's an asshole. His character yeah. in Fog, objectively, an asshole. <laughs> like, yeah. Night of the Creeps, he's playing a cartoon and like an alcoholic, depressed, manic depressed, like detective, but essentially an asshole. <laughs> we're, yeah. we're kind of celebrating an asshole when we celebrate Aitkins, at least the characters that he plays. And that's just an interesting stamp to put your, your name to. But he's almost come to the point, and, you know, Bruce Campbell goes dangerously close to this for a while, where his Go presence ahead. in the movie advertises itself so completely as to almost take you out of the movie. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, he's a quote-unquote character actor. I just think there's a place in this world for assholes. He's my kind of asshole. 
Um, and, and, you know, his character means well, he, you know, he, uh, in this movie, he's running a, a Halloween night film festival of night of the living dead inside a church. You know, he catches those awful teenagers. Um, I don't know. I loved him in this movie, but I, whenever I see him, he does put a smile on my, on my face, but I agree. He's good at playing assholes. Like, he almost needs to be strictly in satire or comedy at this point. Like, I know that this movie has very loose credibility. I yeah. also started to wonder if maybe this wasn't going to be like a... Originally intended to be a pilot for a TV show. Maybe that's why they dialed yeah. back the sex in it a little bit. Uh, not to say that they don't deliver on the violence. Because one place that I do think they definitely deliver in this movie is the violence. Yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, the way it doesn't resolve cleanly at all and like the story will go on uh yeah. it, it, it's such a strange way to leave us unless they knew for a fact that there was going to be more you know this wasn't the case of we thought the killer was dead but in the final shot or the end credit sequence the killer lives no yeah. there's a cult of killers they're still out there and this small group of people knows about them and credits yeah well, no, they want their own film series. That's what it is. You know, they they wanted their own Jason Voorhees or Myers or, but dare I say, Dr. Giggles. Their desire just, for that sacrificed the screenplay at that altar. And uh, I think it hurt it in the film. Like, again, fun slasher movie to watch. It works enough. Yeah. But if yeah. the third act had delivered on what the first act had promised... This could have been like an unsung sort of Halloween ritual, you know? And now yeah. it's a curiosity. It's worth a look. You know, I think that uh, Todd Farmer and Lucy, how, how, do you, how do you say Patrick Lucier? Uh, yeah. Lucier. I, Lucier. I think I'm, I'm in enough. I guess I'm a fan. I will watch what they make. As I yeah. said at the beginning, this is neither the best nor the worst thing that they have put their hands to. Well, Lucier is an old school. He's one of those ghost directors uh, that when a film, like he, he was Wes Craven's editor for the longest of time, but in the industry, he's known as one of those uh, safe meet directors when film projects uh, have to fire their director or the production just loses control. Um, he's brought in to, to fix it and bring it back up to speed. That's what he's mostly known for, but he also has directed a handful of exploitation cinema. I'm a little biased because he's Canadian, <laughs> and, and so I, I was like, and, and Todd Farmer, although he's American, has worked a lot in Canada. So there, there's some there's some Can Canadian sentimentality, and these guys both love exploitation movies. So it's 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 hard for me to hate this movie. Yeah. Um, I, I guess one thing is, and I miss film, and I know how expensive it is to shoot on film. But there's a couple of action sequences that, and, and I call it the double impact that uh, is pretty common in the 80s and 90s where, you know, they, they show that the punches or stabs or kicks two or three times. That's an old school way of directing and it doesn't transfer as well on digital. Like it looks kind of awkward. Yeah. Um, the, also, the sound mix at times is very loud <laughs> And and it takes away from the tension. I would I would uh, you know I think it was John Carpenter that said that you know horror films are a lot of uh, without the sound or music it's a lot of sequences of people looking kind of scared a lot of long shots walking down hallways or looking around. Oh no, your sound um, design is essential. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. They really pump up the sound mix really loudly. I think at times it takes away from it. But there's little things that I like. There's a scene in a hospital. 
where our lead character, one of our lead characters is recovering from an attack. And then they look at the TV and our trick character all of a sudden, I don't know how, somehow shows up in the TV and does that evil smile and everything. And the he's like, movie look, look. doesn't and, even know how yeah. he does that. Yeah. <laughs> it was little things like that that made me go, okay, I, I, you know, I'm liking this. I'm liking this. Trick doesn't reinvent the wheel, but it's a nice spare. That, that's sort of like my final note on it. Um, I think fans of slasher films uh, will get a kick out of this, and especially like old school 80s and 90s, because that's what this film really wants to be. Yeah. It wants to start its own little franchise. I'm kind of sad that it didn't. I love the killer itself. You know, he's fast. He's brutal. Like, he moves quickly. Um, or killers, if you will. And I like the motivation behind it. They want to just spread this culture of fear. Um, but it's a nice spare. I hate to sound so much like me, but it's fine. Black Pumpkin uh, showed up randomly at Walmart for like eight bucks or whatever. Never heard of it, but it was a Halloween anthology horror movie, and I don't know. I was feeling charitable. <laughs> it is a micro-budget production, obviously, and everybody on set in front of and behind the camera are new to what they're doing, obviously. But, I mean... Not to be uncharitable, it's a hard sit in a lot of ways, but I'm not mad at it. I just don't think it made it to the level where it should have maybe got mass distribution. It does feel like a sizzle reel, like they they could say, look, we successfully made a low-budget movie. Speaking as someone who's made a low-budget movie, it's a Herculean task to make a bad movie, let alone a good one. So, like, I'm on their side. So when I see these very weak actors, I get that they just got whoever they could to fill in these roles. And when the scenes linger on too long and I'm desperate to think to the editor, like, oh, there's no way you could have sped this up. I, I always think to myself on set, if I could go back in time, back to being on set, my notes would be faster, faster, faster. I get that the lo-fi synth soundtrack is a nice way to homage the past as well as have a really cheap soundtrack, but it's been done for so many of these movies that it doesn't fucking mean anything anymore. I get that making references and using shots from other horror movies tells me that you have this encyclopedic knowledge like so many of your fans of the horror genre, but you also need to bring something of your own to the plate as well. and. I've watched it as an educational sort of like, 
this is this is amateur filmmaking and these are the mistakes they're making and this is how this scene could have been better and i wonder if the script was a little tighter and there was actually some actors on the set if things wouldn't have turned out because to describe the a b and c of the plot it it's not a horrible idea for a movie it's yeah. just so weak and bland in its execution that it's not even like make fun of it it's just like it drags it drags and you have to look at it almost like an academic exercise like good try everybody i'm on so i would buy everybody involved a beer you know like you did it you made your movie <laughs> you know like yeah. I, 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 and and god love you you somehow got distribution but I can't imagine a scenario where I would recommend, yeah, you should definitely check out Black Pumpkin. You you would like that. That would speak to you. Or, yeah. yeah, it's, it's, there's slim pickings for this Halloween. So maybe give, no, no, watch Halloween again or watch like, you know, but it's tough because when movies like this get completely ignored or completely dismissed and don't get any distribution at all, then I think great things get lost. I start to wonder in this day and age, could the original Evil Dead be discovered? Could the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre be discovered? Like the last true indie horror discovery, I think, maybe be Flanagan's Absentia? that he did independently financed that sort of like he was able to build a career off of that. But that trajectory of being able to make a very ragged, but still completely effective horror movie. I don't think there's anybody supporting that anymore. And I can't tell you that's what black pumpkin is, but I do think that's what black pumpkin wanted to be. And that's what I want for it. Like who knows, maybe if this dude got a budget and some actors and, and, you know, took everything he learned from this experience, he could make a decent watchable movie, but I cannot endorse black pumpkin. I, uh, I hate to sound condescending, but I just don't think it meets the bar to be a professional enough to warrant my money and my time. Yeah. That's brutal, but that's where I'm at. Yeah. Well, I'm right with you. Um, it's like within seconds, you know, you're dealing with a low budget, uh, uh, film, but I, I think people who will love and support independent filmmaking and, have them have a career it's still there i think the makers of skimmer rinky dink will, will will say otherwise because that's the latest uh independent horror film that's... thank you that was the obvious thing that i'd missed you're right that just happened but again yeah. it's it's harder to to, to yeah. find that i think it's a rare thing you know i agree i agree and i think we have to get to a get to a place that if the filmmakers are putting out content that want the masses to uh, you know, grade and enjoy, they have to deal with the, you know, with the criticisms because there's been a lot of independent movies that have hit like the Blair Witch Project or Skimmer Inky Dink or Absentia um, that, you know, Black Pumpkin, Black Pumpkin has a lot of things that needs to be well criticized. Dad joke, edit your script people because there are so many lame jokes that just land with a thud. It's just like, oh, and this is going to be a constant criticism throughout this whole um, episode, Larry. We need to stop with the homages. Yeah. A lot, 
of these films. Like, that was one thing I really noticed with, with these movies. Like, there's a scene taken right out of Halloween with the teenagers that You're I just went, for okay. Too long. Like, I've seen this done before. Um, yeah, the whole fourth wall stuff, the whole homages, like, Screams really played that out. And a lot of other filmmakers, we need to stop doing this. Like, um, you know, you, you can do little homages, but there's so many of them in Black Pumpkin that it, it it really got annoying. We were just talking about Night of the Creeps. Night of the Creeps does that a lot. Friday the 13th yeah. Part 6 does that a lot. Because it was 1986, and it was yeah. 40 fucking years ago. The fact yeah. that, like, every low-budget horror movie does it, again, kind of just yells, we're a movie, we're a movie, winkity-winkity-wink. Yeah. You know, maybe throw one in there. Like, I remember when we talked about Meg, I was like, you know what? If they just had one reference to Jaws, I would have let it yeah. go. But at three, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah. there's a lot. Also, don't show your monster till the end. Don't show, like, every time we see Bloody, Bloody Bobby and the mask and also just the sound of his giggling... It takes away any real threat. And his it size, really the fact that he's sort of child size. I think they're trying. I feel like they were inspired by Trick or Treat with the yeah, sort I of the same thing. little sort of munchkin, mischievous torture creature. But no, the mask is somehow even less expressive than the the, the sack that Sam wears. And yeah. um, anytime we spend too much time holding on him in camera, he just looks like a kid in a Halloween costume. Yeah. Here's I, like I'm gonna. There's some decent ideas here, like uh, <laughs> like how it could be a decent the opening sequence where a father and daughter get killed off mysteriously. If it was handled differently and with actors, I think that sequence is sound. <laughs> okay. Oh no! Like even the shotgun thing, I thought, okay, nice touch. And I was they, worried about 50 minutes in. I thought, oh oh, is there the? Are we watching another Shark Exorcist? Like no, that's no. No, we are not watching another Shark Exorcist. This movie yeah. is competent on a base level. They understand yeah. how to do like a like in frame shot. They, there are yeah. some scenes with bad shadows, and there are some scenes where the shot lingers too long. But it's yeah. on a base level competent. I can hear what everyone's saying all of the time. Yeah. There's like, no, no Shark Exorcist was actually insulting. That's why I say I, I'm not mad at Black Pumpkin. Like, yeah. like you, you, the idea of having kids in the center of a Halloween movie because they're all into Halloween and trick or treating makes sense. But it is hobbling to you if you don't have good child actors. Yeah. And yeah, I don't want to be mean to them. They were probably doing this for the first time in their lives, but the precocious dialogue just doesn't play through. And yeah. I'd like to give the movie points for the having the balls to kill one of the kids at the end of the movie, but I yeah. was supposed to be shocked and disturbed by it, and I was like, I, I wasn't necessarily expecting you to do that, but I'm super happy that you did that. Yeah. I, I also kind of giggle that this is apparently the middle child of a trilogy film. There is an actual sequel to this. Oh, wow. I didn't um, know they made a sequel. Oh, no. This, this, this is supposed to be a trilogy. Like, yeah. this was... Um, there's a prequel supposedly coming, but there is a sequel. Uh, Writer-director Ryan McGonagall, I think. I hope I said that correct. He needs he needs the dad joke edit his script, and he needs to stop with the homages and don't show your 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 creature until the very end. Like if. Yeah. But at the same time, forty minutes into this movie, other than the opening kill, 
nothing has happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. Like, we're getting to know the characters, and maybe there was the one smart decision of keeping the main character in her panties for half of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> but, like... Yeah. Oh. No. No, it's... I like it's what the movie ni- wants to be. It's a nice be. try, but we also have to judge, uh, you know, on on its content, and it needs work, but it's a nice start. Good try, everybody. We've bumped into these before. Sometimes you kind of like them. Scott and I were kind of overpraising this midnight movie, which is a little bit amateurish, but we just loved where the, where the heart of the movie was. Or or Scott and I reviewed that Zombie Town movie, which was very, very amateurish, but had a weird charm to it. This yeah. is amateurish, but boring. Yeah, yeah, but that, that's 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 Black Pumpkin. Maybe we should double back and find a different route. Let's keep moving. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Rule number one is don't split up. You don't think we're gonna wake the dead? Maybe. There's no such thing as zombies. Bloodfest is the greatest horror event of all time. It's nice tonight to let go of the reins, you know, get a little crazy. She's the one I will lay with tonight. Wanna make a horror movie to end all horror movies? This is gonna be the best night of my life. Walsh made everything real, the monsters, everything. Oh my god! If you know the rules, you just might make it! Vampires, zombies, slashers! The clowns I found on Craigslist. We've got a dozen horror movies between us and actually surviving this mess. We need to come up with a plan. Jesus, as a virgin, I'd probably have a fighting chance. You're not a virgin. <laughs> door. I think we're gonna be safe, all right? The windows are all secured. The door's locked. There's no way in. Excuse me. This is what horror gives us. Horror begets horror. Boom. Boom. So much blood. There's three ways a horror movie ends. One, a single hero survives. Two, no one survives. What's the third? Help us! Let's go find out. I'm sorry, but I killed your ass! Woo! Okay, well, um, Bloodfest came out almost simultaneously with another very similar titled movie called Hellfest. <laughs> um, and they both had to do with, like, uh, these sort of big spectacle horror carnival places. Um, sometimes they're Halloween themed, but sometimes they're just basically places for horror fans to go and celebrate and do their thing. Um, the group behind this movie are a bunch of YouTube people. They have their own channel and their own sort of like world. I am not plugged into that world. Um, but I am told that if you are, it kind of hurts the enjoyment of the movie because if you know these actors for their bits already, it's hard to suspend your disbelief. So happily, I don't have that sort of problem. Um it's a weird thing because I find it kind of similar to Trick in my mind in that I like the setup mostly and I certainly like the opening like the the opening kill splatter sequence that happens at the blood fest really sets up things nicely but much like when we talk about Trick I feel like the later into this movie we get the less sense it makes whereas the actual finale of the movie maybe kind of doesn't make sense upon reflection Deja vu all over again. 
But much like Trick, while it was happening, <laughs> I was into it. It was competently made. And I like that they were trying to give us a pretty varied meal. You know, there's like uh, zombies and there's vampires and there's psycho killers and there's rage people. And like, they're, it's almost video game in its sort of structure. As there's these different levels they have to fight their way through and survive. And one of the actors is sort of the, the guy in the chair actor from, from the Spider-Man series. Um... I can't remember the actor's name. But, um, the types and the characters that we're interested to, that we're introduced to are all standard teenage archetypes. There's nothing new about them. The situation starts kind of surprising and new, but the more it tries to explain and justify itself, again, the less sense it kind of starts making. Uh, it's fun while it's happening, but you kind of feel guilty afterwards. It's 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 like you almost got caught masturbating or something. Because <laughs> <laughs> we never do that, Larry. No, I mean, it's it's good enough. It's good enough. But again, I feel like it was close to having something really cool. Like they they're all these kids. They're horror obsessed. They they they. Then of course there's romantic entanglements amongst the group. They they go to this festival. And at the big opening night premiere, when they're supposed to have these Halloween haunt and these horror movies and all of this, the guy brings a couple women out on stage and then introduces a mass killer. And these two women are slaughtered in front of the crowd, and everybody is instantly attacked. And it goes from woohoo party to like mayhem. You know, briefly, it's like the it's like the rave sequence in Freddy versus Jason where it's just yeah. like this, like, holy shit, they're really going for it. And this is not one or two victims. Like what is really going on here? And yet vampires, yeah, yeah. I, got, I got excited of that, by that sequence. I thought that's when the film actually began to have a pulse. Yeah. And then, and then vampires and zombies. I mean, how is this all going to come together? How is it going to make sense? And the sad part is, is that it's never really going to come together and it's never going to make sense. It feels good while you're doing it, Lee, but afterwards, there's shame. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think the makers of Cabin in the Woods need to call their lawyers, dude. You think so? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Look, the, the, the company is its a tech company that's, that's called Rooster Teeth. They're yeah. a digital media company that helped pioneer the whole web episodes that aren't as popular anymore. But I'd say about 10 years ago, they were kind of all the rave. I know the Critters franchise at one point invested in it. They did a series called Red vs. Blue, uh, and then they decided to really expand into a digital movie studio, and they did Laser Team. Have you ever heard of that before? I have not. Red vs. Blue rings a bell in that maybe I know that that exists, but... <laughs> yeah. And then they came out with... Uh, Bloodfest. Uh, writer director Owen Edgerton. He's also the, the, the master of ceremonies yeah. who, uh, um, who basically you know guides this whole madcap blood you know violent fest. He's okay in that role, but Hellfest had yeah. Tony Todd in that role, and they could have benefited with someone with a little more hoomph, maybe. But yeah, yeah. When the film is satirizing Silicon Valley uh, tech culture, I think the movie actually has something um but like the criticisms before with black pumpkin when they're doing homage after homage after homage it does get kind of strenuous and i i started to yawn um i love the fact that they were really poking fun at generation g generation z and, and the millennials 
when it's doing stuff like that, like, oh, my vape is empty. Oh, and making fun of, you know, the sort of the austere horror directors. I was like, okay, I get it. I get it. Um, and it, if it would have stayed on that path, I, I would have liked this film a whole lot more. But we live in a world where we have Tucker and Dale versus Evil and Zombieland and Shaun of the Dead. Even Zombievers, Larry. No. I'll put Zombievers. Like the whole meta disassembling the horror genre thing is it almost needs to be disassembled itself we need to go another layer deep because it doesn't really mean that much anymore i will give it this though it's justified within the plot in that they are going to this horror centric theme park so it, it like it does suit the world and i do think that they do establish that they're trying to be at least a little bit funny it's not all grim um but I like the idea, but I was just I just kept on wishing that they had a punchline to the setup because yeah, how are they gonna get away with killing all of these people and like who's behind yeah. all of this and how to what end? Like how could you possibly cover this up? Yep. And then Tate Donovan yep. shows up in the third act to try and explain everything with a Bond villain speech and it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> you know. <laughs> And again, I feel like I'm being hypercritical of what's supposed to be just sort of a buddy thing, but I also just confused how, okay, so they're not all zombies, they're not all vampires, as it turns out, but... They're robots. Were they buried underground? Were these people buried underground? Did they sharpen those women's teeth and just convince them to bite people? And the clowns, ha ha ha, they just ordered them off eBay or whatever, but like, uh, (laughs) I I liked it better when I thought... I kind of thought this film was sort of taking the piss out of um, not future Westworld because I thought they were robots as well. Or, or Waxwork, you know that old '80s movie Waxwork yeah. where they go to the wax museum yeah. and things come to life, like uh, all the different all the different areas of the park or whatever. Like like I say, like a different level of a video game. Get past the zombies, get to the clowns, get past the clowns, get to the you know whatever the vampires. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the meat and potatoes of that definitely have its moments, which are kind of fun and cool enough. But yeah. no payoff. No payoff. No yeah. payoff. This film is definitely for a niche audience. Jokes that some people, like, like like techie jokes, that your average movie watcher won't get. Yeah. Like, even some of the cameos. Like, I had to look them up and then, like, do research on, on who these people were. But that's just because I'm a nerd and I have obsessive qualities. Your average film gore, film gore won't uh, film goer won't get some of the the homage and jokes to the Silicon Valley tech world, and be like, I don't care, I don't care. I also thought since the it was supposed to be a movie about people who loved horror, there was a guy who played a serial killer in a lot of these movies. So you think that he'd be being fanboyed and that they would they would build sort of a rich history about his character and he was famous. Whereas he's kind of like this kind of loser dopey character as the movie plays out, you know. He, he's yeah. not really fetishized. He's not really anybody's hero. He's just an actor making a buck, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Whereas, yeah. you know, if you're really at one of those places and you see Tom Savini, even if you don't want to, you kind of pee a little bit, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Look, man, Bloodfest is about ten years too late. To be perfectly honest, yeah. scary movie like is is another franchise that really took the piss out of a lot of those horror films. Even though their humor is 
even below the barrel of something like this. Well, I, I just... rejected them on their premise. I mean, how do you satirize Scream? Scream is satire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like, even when they satirize Saw, where they have that sequence where uh, that that old director, you know, sacrifices himself so that the love interest can live with, with the, the hand traps, whatever. I thought, okay, okay. But I've seen that before. So it's they're about 10 years too late. And it's, it's more towards a niche audience. But it does seem like the kind of movie a bunch of young people who are making their first horror movie would make and think was a good idea. And yeah. again, uh, I, maybe I was just refreshed by the polish of it compared to like Black Pumpkin and, and, and All yeah. Hallows Eve. Like there's a base competency to what's going on. You can see what's going on. The action scenes aren't completely, you know, incompetently handled. The actors do the job. I'm not amazed by anyone. I'm like, this person's going to be a star. But yeah. I'm not embarrassed for anyone, which is, you know, already a win. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not embarrassed, but they definitely have, well, they clearly have more money and they have a lot more professional talent. So in some ways, I'm going to be a, maybe a lot harsher with my critical glare on it in that case. Um you know, if you're going to have money and have actors like Tate Donovan uh, as surprise surprise, who right away I knew was going to be one of the villains. Yeah. Um, oh, you're kind of a legit actor. There's no other legit actors in here. There's going to be a shoe to drop. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's and like the guest spot on Murder, She Wrote. You know? Horror movies create violence because it's responsible for the death of my wife. So oh, I'm going to kill gonna hundreds of kids. Later. Yeah. <laughs> Violence yeah. is wrong, so let me become a mass murderer. Uh, and what? Yeah. What? Yep. yep. Lie better. <laughs> like, it's okay if you lie to us. Movies are just big, elaborate lies. But I say, lie better. <laughs> yes. I will give them uh, the, the kudos for the, you know, they have the best title out of all the movies in this series. Bloodfest. It's so original. I love it. <laughs> well, I mean, like, it sounds like a movie that, that, that sooner or later there was going to be a movie called Bloodfest, and here it is. And it's about as inspired as its name would imply, but it's yeah. not terrible. It is watchable but forgettable yeah. like it it's it's like tv movie level it's it will distract you while you fold laundry or eat your soup and then you will forget it yeah yeah um it, they get some things right like, like, like i mentioned earlier making fun of generation z or the post millennials but if you're gonna make if you're gonna be a satire make fun of the rules not the scenes yeah yeah so that's where i land on Bloodfest. Again, I feel like I'm doing short, short shrift on it, but all I will do is repeat myself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, once again, we're in the territory of fine. Maybe yeah. C minus. Maybe not C plus. Maybe closer to C minus. But yeah. <laughs> Bloodfest. It's another movie. Babysitting on Halloween night. That's just asking for trouble. Yeah. Tell me about it. It's already been quite an eventful evening. Some creep slipped a videotape into Timmy's candy bag while we were trick-or-treating. A videotape? You should see what's on it. Hey, what are you doing? I'm turning it off. It's too violent for the two of you. Do you think that clown was real? No, it's just make-believe. 
demons, witches, monsters, that, that doesn't exist. Please! The killer's out here! He's following me! Who's following you? Well, All Hallows' Eve has a few things in common with a movie we talked about earlier in this podcast called Black Pumpkin, and then it was done on a micro budget. But unlike Black Pumpkin, two of the three films were kind of already produced before this movie was made. Um, the writer-director, da- Damien Leone, mm-hmm. uh, you know, decided he was going to take these successful short films, put it into an anthology. So they just sort of had this middle chapter that they tried to sort of uncomfortably wedge in. And does it have some of the problems that I discussed in Black Pumpkin? Yes. Yes, it absolutely does. But I'm going to argue not to the same degree as that. And there is a central concept, at least with the demonic art, the clown, satanic panic kind of vibe, retro vibe that he's going for, that is minimally successful. I would say that as far as art, the clown and his origin, it is a very accurate representation of what he is going to do with the next with terrifier and terrifier 2 and presumably as many terrifiers as he can make where there is this ghoulish satanic apparently powerful evil that does terrible things and it's always nihilism and brutality and and a, a brutal ending is in store for all of her characters and it's weird because there's deja vu already all over again. We have two so-so child actors, Halloween night, counting their candy and watching Night of the Living Dead. Night of the Living Dead has shown up again and again in a lot of these movies. Why? Because it has no copyright. It's in the public domain. You can use footage of Night of the Living Dead and don't have to pay for it. <laughs> but but now it's starting to draw attention to itself in, in this way. But... Uh, unlike the other movie, this movie's not completely reliant on the kids. They're mainly responsible for sort of the quote-unquote wraparound story that we're having. And when we're in the first and third stories, I'm more or less with the movie. Ragged though it may be, cheap though it may be, up and down the actors may be completely forgiving. But that middle story is weak sauce. And it actually significantly hurts the movie. Like, it hurts the movie enough that I would say you could probably skip that story. It is inessential. Art doesn't really show up except for peripherally as a painting, as if he was there watching somehow through the painting. But clearly this is a separate, maybe done before or cheaper or by a friend the creature is not that successful. I get that they're trying and I get that it's cheap, but it's just not working for me. And the other stories were ragged and the wraparound story were ragged, but I was watching it with that forgiving eye view. And again, it was much more successful than Black Pumpkin. 
for people who can get into a micro-budget horror movie, for people who are interested in sort of Art the Clown and his origins, I do think it gets there enough to justify its own existence. But holy shit, do I ever want to slap the shit out of that middle story? Because the other two I can be forgivable or sort of shrug off some of the problems. That middle section is a tough sit. So that's where I start on All Hallows' Eve. Well, sometimes filmmakers do projects out of necessity of finances and survival, and other times it's for love and passion. Damien Leone's All Hallows' Eve is a passion project, and you can feel it despite its low budget. I think that's why you kind of cheer for it a bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and I'll point to the, like, I mean, there's four stories. You've got the one that sort of, you know, connects them all with the babysitter and the kids. But the last one with Art and the gas station, um, and I, I, it's a little attention to details, where, yes, it's shot on digital, but they had that 1970s grain uh, to kind of, you know, that grindhouse feel aesthetic that made me go you know what that's nice and you can tell that this guy loves the genre so he had me there and Arthur Clown is essentially being the creeper from creep show that's fine and yeah there's some low budget stuff and sometimes it works uh especially with the gore because I think he's also he's playing in that 70s grindhouse trauma aesthetic intentionally and so that's why I'm like okay I I get what you're going for. But the, the second that alien shows up in that second story, it takes it takes me out of the movie completely because it is so awful and clunky that it's just, this isn't scary. And and it's not like the actor who's being uh, hunted down isn't trying. I, I think she does the best she could with what she had. Yeah. I don't think he's weak. It's just that that's a costume you, you see at a Halloween store. Really. I see it, him moving just, his body and trying to like give it some sort of like specific alien movement, but that that mask is not credible. It's it's and again it doesn't seem connected. Like art shows up in the first and third story, and well, and in yeah. the wraparound. Like so, like this is an outlier by many many counts. Like yeah. I don't know why they didn't come up with another art short film like. Or, I don't know, like, there's probably a story behind the scenes. Like I said, they already had that. Like, I think that the major production of All Hallows' Eve was the, you know, the babysitter, the kids, and the wraparound story. These short films themselves all existed pre all of this, right? Well, you're right. This actually started off as Leon's The Ninth Circle. It was a short film, and it was that sort of devil one, like the first short story was the one that was shot. They just added some exterior shots to pad it out. That one was already shot. It was the alien and then the art, the clown, and then obviously the babysitter stuff that kind of grew from there. Um, but it, it's the love that I, that I appreciate. Like I said, like you could tell this, the, the, the people making this, including Leon, love this genre and know exactly what it is. And they, they worked within the confines. Yes, some of the gore looks very low amateurs, but other at other points it works. Um, the end scene with our actor who has been chased uh, and is knocked out with the car and she's nude and her limbs, like, I kind of went, holy shit, at yeah. the end. Um, nope, so we're not it, going anywhere nice in this movie in any of the stories. 
Yeah. Even the, the devil one. And I do think they owe a big old we're sorry to VHS 2. Because, <laughs> damn, there's some, like, there's some huge similarities that I would be like, call my lawyer. You've got <laughs> the, the devil story and the alien story especially. Dude, this wasn't like found footage. Panic. This is totally different. And there's, I'm sure, lots of 80s satanic panic movies that have very similar trajectories to them. But yeah, uh, you know things are not going well for this girl. And like, she, she wakes up in this weird underground dungeony place with two other women. One of them is almost instantly killed. And you're not really given much reason to have much hope. But even with that little hope, you're kind of surprised at how dark they go with it. In a way yeah. that's surprising. I, again, with Black Pumpkin, I was like, they're kind of surprised that they went with this, the killing of the kids. I was not surprised that they went with killing the kids in this movie because nihilism seemed to be what he did. But it did have minimal impact. Like, we'd spent enough time with those kids. They were irritating and snotty and they were scrapping with each other. But they were hopped up on sugar and it was Halloween night and they were scared and trying to pretend like they weren't. So, I don't know. It mostly works. Again, if he was to remake this today with, you know, the skills he's acquired, I bet you it would be a significantly better movie. Again, just scrap that middle chapter. And I also think, yeah, I also think that it's an, since it's an anthology movie, the stories don't stick out long enough for us to go tisk, tisk, tisk. No, but it also doesn't stick around long enough for us to really invest in anyone. We're learned by the time we get to story three not to expect anyone to make it to the end. So, yeah. and that's fine. And I think that he kind of, as far as the Groundhouse aesthetic, the first Terrifier movie, for all my issues with it, I think does it in a very concise, better way. I think he gets undisciplined with Terrifier 2. It's just That's too much hear. and too big. Well, not even just with the violence and like the size of the set pieces, but just scenes go on longer than they need to for no other reason than he chooses to. I'm of the opinion that no Terrifier movie needs to be two and a half hours long. But uh, yeah. people disagree with me. But you can see where it came from here. Yeah. And it's a good micro-budget, like... Even with me being really mean about that middle chapter, just like I said with the other micro-budget movie, congratulations to everybody involved for pulling it off. Even to this way, like, when you don't have the money and you can't have any kind of stars or any draw to the movie, like, you're you're walking uphill in mud every day, and this is mostly successful. So that's a Herculean achievement. Congratulations. And what was with the whispering over the sound edit? Like, it was especially uh, in the second story, but I think it was kind of also in the first, where they just had this... Whisper over it. I started to wonder if it wasn't a cover for a sound issue. Yeah. But again, I just don't know. Okay. I don't know. It was one of the things that made me kind of go, this is intentional. Is it annoying? I don't know. Was it intentionally annoying? Probably not. (laughs) Yeah. Look, um, clearly the man is talented and has a love and and, and has the skill set that I want him to make more movies. I hope he doesn't fall too much in the Tom Six uh, trap where you're going to be shocking, shocking, shocking all the time. It's okay to do it for your first couple of movies, but change it up. This is something that I'm, I'm going to be curious about with Ari Aster because he also, like, he does trauma porn. 
you know, take, take the, the, the sheer ugliness of the human condition, um, you know, with person's trauma and like drag it out. Okay, that's great. Now try something different. Well, I think we're going to be stuck with Art the Clown for a little while yet, but I will back you up in that I'd be curious to see him sort of do another movie, see if he can go in a different direction. Um, Again, uh, I don't don't know that they're they're experiential films and they mean to be. They are a throwback for that. You're there to see the violence and the gore and on some level get off on Art and his ridiculous darkness. And this, this is sort of the origins of that. Um, there is a sequel to this movie. I just wanted to flag it as well. Uh, Leona has nothing to do with the sequel. The sequel is just another anthology made for no money. So if you're looking for art, only look for him in All Hallows' Eve, not All Hallows' Eve 2. Um, and I mean, art fans, definitely everyone else. If you can go for a micro budget film, but sincerely consider skipping the second story. Yeah. No, well said. Well said. Would you like to see a magic trick? Yeah. Tell me your name. Taylor. I was really starting to like you, Finny. I almost let you go. Don't hang up. Who are you? You know all our names. It doesn't work. Hang it up. I made you some breakfast. Where'd you put that? Salt and pepper. (laughs) Have you seen this boy? My brother, he was taken. By a man with black balloons. (laughs) Scott Derrickson and Robert Carlyle? Cargyle? Cargyle, I want to say. Cargyle. Cargyle. Uh, I believe Cargyle used to be a film critic. Uh, They have collaborated on a several things and i'm usually happy with them there was a weird aberration they made a not great movie called deliver us from evil but um i like the exorcism of emily rose quite a bit you know and i i really like sinister that first sinister movie is actually genuinely creepy uh like well done and as far as marvel product goes i thought his doctor strange brought some interesting things to the table and was a little weirder and a little scarier than you were you expecting from a marvel movie which is probably why he only made one <laughs> well, he was supposed to make the second one but they had creative differences so and they brought sam raimi yeah and you know it worked out but the yeah. black phone was i guess his consolation prize and uh Joe Hill wrote the short story with which it's based on, and he is, of course, the son of Stephen King. And because I'm a Stephen King super freak fan, I, I, I have a hard time not seeing a lot of similarities in sort of the themes of the loss of innocence, childhood bullying, 
and abuse, particularly from a father figure. I mean, we almost might as well be talking about Stephen King with all the peripheral characters. Uh, Joe Hill's creation, real creation, that he's not borrowing from his old man, or, or, or subconsciously or not, is the grabber character, which Ethan Hawke plays. And I think the first time the movie, I watched the movie, the two things that stuck out to me was that actually Ethan Hawke wasn't in the movie as much as I expected him to be. The movie actually much more belongs to the little kid, the central kidnap victim, which is fine. But the advertising was all about Ethan Hawke and everyone saying how crazy and scary he was. And I'm not saying he wasn't crazy and scary. I was just surprised at how sparely he was used. And I might have been a little bit disappointed by that. Watching it the second time, I wasn't disappointed by that, actually. I thought it was kind of a cool move that made him his presence more impactful each time he was on screen because we weren't getting him throughout the entire film. The thing that stuck with me, which still surprises me considering where this movie's coming from, and again, sinister, is how not scared I was watching the movie. I don't find it to be a particularly scary movie and it is a horror movie so I guess maybe on some level people will have to call that maybe a fail but uh, it's successful at being kind of a thrilling kidnapping thriller and you can sort of play you know, Stephen King bingo with the shining kids and their psychic abilities and the you know the abusive parents as I brought up in the beginning and the cast is really game both those kids like, the brother and sister are really good. The The best friend, who is one of the victims of the grabber, like that we kind of know a little bit before he's a ghost character, solid kid actor, which was so important to this. And I wanted to talk about uh, the actor from Saving Private Ryan, uh, Jeremy Davies. Cast against, cast against type, actually. Yeah, like, he's a character really actor. Well. He's a character actor who's usually very meek, very mild, very low-key. And he's an abusive parent in this movie. And again, I don't know if it's a good or bad thing for the movie, but the scenes between him, particularly he and his daughter, I find to be actually as or more troubling than any of the scenes between the boy and the grabber. So... I think the movie's successful in a lot of ways, and I was engaged in the story, and it has a satisfying payoff at the end, and Ethan Hawke does live up to the hype. But I do find it strange that it's not, like, super scary to me. <laughs> like, that's not what I was expecting when I came in to watch The Black Phone. But the story of this kidnapped boy who was getting instructions on how to, you know, survive as long as possible and possibly escape his tormentor from the ghosts of that tormentor's victims is solid. And, uh, yeah, I, I love the seventies aesthetic. I like how every time we're introduced to a ghost, we get this weird rickety. It reminded me again of sinister with the, the, the old sort of film projection sort of images where we see a little bit of who that kid was and where they were when they encountered the grabber. And I like the lore and the vibe of the movie. And I like the acting in the movie. I like the movie. I just wasn't that scared by it, which is interesting. So yeah. that's where well, I'm starting with the black phone. Well, with the better than it should have been exorcism of Emily Rose and the ghoulish sinister and the visually striking Doctor Strange, Scott Derrickson has proven enough for me that I'm going to show up. Yeah. Uh, and here, once again, he plays in the Bloomhouse sandbox, you know, with the black phone. 
And this is based off the short story, as you mentioned, uh, by Joel Hill, Stephen King's son. What is interesting, because actually, uh, watching this movie, I actually did go and read the short story. Um, there's a lot that they added to this movie. Apparently um, there's only one ghost in the story, right? Uh, no, there's, there's a couple more. Uh, but the short story is all really just between the boy and the grabber. Oh, okay. what, they, what they added was, and they do little hints of it, was the abusive storyline with the girl having psychic powers. They hint at it in the short story, but not enough to really make a meal. And what works for me more is the short story that we don't even really see in the trailer of the sister being kind of the hero of, of, of the bit. She's a lot stronger than Finn. Um, I do want, yeah, Madeline McGraw is her name. She plays Gwen. And every time she's on screen, the movie really cooks. And they develop enough of the relationship between her and Finn that that's kind of the heart of the movie for me. Yeah. Um, and, and, and yeah, I agree. The scenes with Jeremy Davis, especially with, with him whipping his daughter and Finn walks in on it, you're like, holy shit we're playing for reels here well and they never stop playing for reels at the end of the movie spoilers the boy gets away <laughs> he's yeah. not killed by the grabber and the family is reunited but their dad isn't suddenly sober and suddenly not violent and he has this point where he apologizes to his kids and the yeah. kids don't say anything they just look at each other because he's probably apologized every time he's beat them <laughs> right like I love that they make it just a little more dimensional. Like there is a remorseful angle, uh, angle where he's ashamed of his bullying nature. He's ashamed of it. And I like the fact that he just wasn't just uh, this raging, abusive monster that we get to see that he's an alcoholic, that he is remorseful. And in a lot of ways, he's sort of like the juxtaposition, juxtaposition of the grabber in light of the kids like that's their other demon that they have to deal with and we get the that there's going to be a point where he can't do that anymore he can't really do it to finn because finn at that point he's graduated where he's not going to be bullied anymore he, you know his journey both at the end of the short story because the short story ends with him giving the ghost phone to the grabber and he picks it up and he hears the boys that's how the short story ends where they go beyond here, where, where you know he's he's caught and killed in the movie. So maybe um, I was wrong to blame Joe Hill for stealing from Stephen King. Maybe it was more Cargyle. Yeah, but um, by the end, Finn graduates at, at where he and you stand up for yourself. Same with his friend. I think at some point you're going to have to stand up for yourself. He's confident uh, he can talk to the girl now and not feel strange. And after after he's been through what he's been through, he yeah, he has a little bit more. He's leveled up. Yeah. Yeah, and you get the impression that Gwen oh. So Say that again. You keep um, cutting out. You get the impression that what? You also get the impression that Gwen is no longer going to take it from her dad as well where he even say, he even tells her, you know, use your powers, Gwen. And and he's, the father's ashamed and heartbroken up that his wife turned out the way it did. And, uh, so I, uh, it, I was a lot more attracted to that story than the grabber itself. I do want to give a shout out to Tom Savini. He's the one that made the masks. Um, well, he designed and, them anyway, yeah. 
And I do like the fact that they represent what the grabber is actually feeling in those scenes. I thought that was a nice touch. Ethan Hawke has played villains before, but he's really let loose in this movie. Um, you know, his, his choice with his voice, with that giggle and everything. Well, I think he lets the mask do a lot of the work, and that's okay, because the mask does a lot of the work. And just what we learn about the character makes us, like, hate him, hate him more. He deliberately leaves the door open, so when the kid tries to escape, he can catch him and punish him. But the kid's getting these crib notes, these cheat codes from the ghosts, so he's not falling for any of these traps. And it is pissing him off. Because for some reason he needs to make up an excuse to start the violence, right? Uh, oh yeah, no, like it, it, it totally fucks with his world. And both in the story and the film, the grabber kind of knows that his time is coming to an end, and it terrifies him. It terrifies him. So when his world starts to unravel, when Finn isn't playing by his rules, it it fucks him up, and and, and you see it. And I love that. It's also good to see uh, Derrickson's familiar James Ransom, who plays the brother who has a bigger part in the short story as well. Like, that's one of the things where in the short story, the boy figures out that there's someone else upstairs, and he's trying to get a hold of the brother, and he's the one that really starts the chain of events in the short story. I don't think that's he's interesting. killed. I, I, that was the one character, the the structurally that I thought if it wasn't Ron Stone playing him, because I kind of like that actor, and he's sort of like, he was in the sinister, he was, you know, officer so-and-so um and he was in it chapter two obviously but um there was something pathetic and and weird about him and like he was all obsessed with the killer and literally he was living with the killer and didn't know it it was like we needed to know more about how he could have such division in his psyche to not know this about his brother or not to like he has this eureka moment wait a minute, we're living right in the center location of this crime. Like, if you're really obsessed with the crime, you, you, you probably figured that out a while ago, one would think. It really feels like it's a character there because the movie's not going to show us the grabber killing kids, but we needed to have some blood. We needed someone to die in the movie, and that's the only role that... That's the only card that character has to play. The whole movie structurally is about a collision between this little kid and the grabber. It's going to come down to them going mano a mano. And like everybody expects that. Unless they're going to go no country for old men and like deliberately break expectation, which I'm not pretty confident this movie wasn't going to do. Uh, yeah. He had no card to play but to die. So, you know, you're just waiting for it to happen, and it happens. It's yeah. well executed and everything like that, but there's a certain base. Yeah, this is the scene where this inevitably takes place. Um, his character is shortchanged, and I do wonder if a lot more of it was left on the cutting room floor, since the movie is not short either. Um, so I do agree that his character is shortchanged, but um, he's the... Like, He's a, a bigger part in the short story where Finn tries to get his attention more than once. And that's where part of the tension and suspense comes with the story where there's this chance for Finn to escape involving the brother. And it, it you know, it doesn't happen. And then, of course, you know, the grabber figures everything out. So I do agree that that character uh, feels shortchanged. Yeah. 
Well, and again, um, it's a soundproof basement or it isn't. If you can hear him through the floor, you can probably hear him from outside. I don't know. It just was a one sort of sloppy thread for me, I thought. Yeah. Here's the thing. We know that Finn is going to escape. That's the thing. We know that most likely at the end, Finn is going to escape and good will triumph over evil. So I never really felt that Finn was in any real danger. And I think that's part of the problem with the black phone. If they would have been brave and have the grabber win, I think there would have been more staying power. But we mostly know that he is going to escape and that the, that the boy is going to, you know, discover his bravery. Yeah. I mean, and other kids that we kind of knew a little bit do die. We don't see them die, but like the first kid, we see that even though he wins the, the baseball game, he's still pretty decent about it. And, yeah. you know, he disappears. Like I said, his buddy, who was sort of his bully defender, uh, disappears. Um, but they they were flinching at the child violence, so I don't think they were they were really willing to go there or going to go there. Um, but maybe that's the, the, the riddle of the movie. Maybe that, that knowledge was so baked into the movie is why I didn't feel scared for it. Like they don't do a lot of cheap jump scary things either. Nope. There's a, a nope. few times where the kids appear and like that one kid's floating and his back's all bent and he's fucked up and it's kind of like a jolting image to see cause you're not expecting to see that. But like, yeah. uh, it doesn't do the same thing that Sinister did. And again, maybe that's the other reason, because it was Ethan Hawke and the same director in Sinister, and they were all about him walking down slow hallways and waiting for you to like jump out of your skin type of moments. This yeah. movie's sort of playing in a different place. And uh, maybe, and I, I hate to keep going back to Stephen King, but I do, maybe because it's operating in a similar sort of theater as Misery, it's kind yeah. of you know outflanked by... A, Similar stories like this that have happened before it. The Collector, Misery, you know, like these these prolonged kidnappings where it becomes both a psychological and then eventually a physical sort of confrontation. And yeah. the, the other thing the movie does well is, even though the kid's a kid, they devise a scenario in the third act where he believably beats an adult. Sometimes it's he, he wins because of pure luck or because suddenly he has a swing that no kid in the world would have. No, this guy's Yeah. This guy is twice his size and weight. So there there's no physical combination or, or combat that he can win. So he's gotta outthink him. And and that's actually where I think the movie really pays off. No, I do love your arm is mint, uh that they set up early on in the movie and, and the payoff that that made me smile um it feels like a young adult novel in a lot of ways black phone does it's safe it's, for for a movie about a child murderer it's kind of safe i guess yeah yeah and that's and that's what it is it it feels like like a goosebump stories just a little bit or um not not what you do in the shower scary things you tell in the dark those sort of young adult 13 year old uh novels that i loved as that's what the, that's what this sort of plays out. Um, I do, but the acting is pretty good. Like Mason Thames plays Finney. Um, I'm also going to call out the great hypnotic score by by Mark Corvin. I thought that added this is sort of a really hypnotic, grindy kind of gets under your skin that ha that helps the movie as well. It goes with the grimy '70s vibe of the movie too, which is well handled. Like it's believably yeah. period. Yeah. To me, the black phone. 
it has the it has all the ingredients and and it's a good movie but it's just not grandma's red velvet cake it's not an amazing movie it it has elements of being good but not all the constituent parts are solid and the movie does work i would never steer anyone away from it like really it has fewer flaws than i arguably any of the other movies that we've talked about uh, I, I was just trying to solve this riddle. I do like the movie. Yeah. I wasn't frightened by it, but I still yeah. like it. Um, yeah. But, like, I guess I would have to take a few points off because I was expecting it to be a little bit more scary than it was. But yeah. don't let me talk you out of checking out The Black Phone if you haven't. No. No, The Black, I, the black Phone is definitely worth your time. I'm not trying to say that. It's just the bar has been set high. I agree with you. With Like, with Sinister... And the better than it should have been, the exorcism of Emily Emily Rose, and you know even to you know and Doctor Strange, you expect a certain level uh, of filmmaking here, and it's not that he doesn't hit it, but I agree with you. I wasn't. Uh, we have to mind. live with really good instead of fantastic. GD. Yeah. Yes. But it's still really good. Yes. Good enough. Yes. six halloween themed movies more or less <laughs> they're halloweenish they're halloween enough damn it yeah six of them reviewed by lee beckman and larry parsons so now's the part where we rank them uh, my guess is that we're going to agree on the bottom but maybe not on the top but end the suspense for me lee where are we what was your least favorite of these six halloween movies and why well, Kel Shocker, I have uh, Black Pumpkin at number six, a definitely amateurly made, amateurly written uh, film that, um, yeah, I just don't think I'll be seeing the sequel, buddy. Uh, that's I, all I'm saying. I, I get this is radio, not television, but right now I'm showing you my not surprised face. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, at number five, I have this the kind of isolating but give credit to the most original titled film blood fest um there's enough there that you know that i like but enough the homages man enough the homages when <laughs> next uh i have the sort of grindhousey, low budget but uh there's enough there to like uh, all hallows eve um i could tell that damon leon you know has some talent it's there um 
I've seen Terrifier. I have not seen the second one yet, but um, you can tell that this man has a passion for horror films, filmmaking, and I just go, ah, so good for him. So I have All Hallows Eve. Um, I have the blink and you've totally missed it trick that, you know, wants to start its own franchise. Good for you, but you're stuck in the eighties and nineties. Is that a bad thing? <laughs> but, but also, I mean, it's from Canadian boy, Patrick Lucier, who he loves exploitation cinema. How can you hate him? How can you hate him? Uh, at number two, and I think this is where you and I will probably disagree I have the very thoroughly entertaining yet predictable The Black Phone. It's all there. Um, and like I said, uh, the acting is far better than it should be. Um, I was far more intrigued by the brother-sister storyline that is pure, that's, it's a pure movie. It's not in the short story. And to me, that was the more engaging of the two narratives. Uh, but it's still, it's Scott Derrickson, and the man knows what he's doing. Yeah. And no shocker to me, and probably this is more just because of my sentimental value, I have the thoroughly entertaining, yet slightly stupid, but true to the lore and the gore, the giant Michael Myers love fest. This is my Friday the 13th Jason Lives uh, sort of opposite Halloween Kills. This film just wants to please you, Larry. It's, It's doing the reach around and saying, like me, like me a lot. So I say, David Gordon Green... You did it. You have Halloween kills. We thank you, sir. We thank you. I knew when when you agreed to do this list that there was no fucking way that Halloween kills was going to be anywhere but on the top of the list. But yeah, uh, so we, we're a little bit different, but I think we're close enough. We've actually switched on two spots, but I think we're going to still part company, friends. Here. <laughs> yeah, well. yeah, except. <laughs> I'm just still bitter that you chose the actions of Silver Jaws, but we won't get into that. <laughs> still stings. Yeah. Black Pumpkin. Like, good try, guys. Good try. Maybe yeah. next time you'll get a bigger budget. You got distribution, they're mid-sequels. Hell, they're doing better than I ever managed. So, like, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm I'm a little bit mystified, but at the same time, like, good for them for getting the movie made. Good for them for getting it distributed. It is amateur hour. It, it, it's not even student film quality at some points. So I had to put it at the bottom. I was cheering for it. And I, again, yeah. there's there's seeds of goodness in it, but it's 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 a little premature. A little, yeah. little, 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 little preemie baby there. Uh, uh, in fifth place, I put All Hallows Eve. And honestly, I think it could have made fourth place, but that second story, man, that second story is just a vortex of suck in the middle of it. The other two actual like isolated short films do what they do well enough, even with the sort of constraints of the budget. And on that way, the movie is successful for those parts. But yeah, no, there's there's some tough stuff to get through. And uh, Bloodfest fought its way to fourth place, but it, you know, like it's adequate. <laughs> like it, it is distracting. Like I was saying, like while you're folding laundry or eating your supper, something to watch and then forget about. It's nothing to get angry about, and it's nothing to get excited about. It's Bloodfest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can get a little bit more excited about Trick in third place, 
but I wish it was a movie that could stand on its own. Like, come up with the sequel. Obviously, you want to have a sequel, but come up with the sequel when you need to come up with a sequel. Let this movie kick enough ass on its own that people beg you for a sequel. Don't just, like, we're going to do all this work to set up a sequel that never gets made. (laughs) You know, just make a good cheesy violent movie which is what they mostly were doing until they got a little bit too up their own ass a little bit but it basically works i'm i'm a fan of these guys because they sort of they deal in cheese but it's it's my kind of cheese yeah halloween kills is in second place and I, i i mean i don't really feel like i need to defend it there's just more working against it as far as what is the movie trying to be and what is it successful at? I think that the black phone is more successful at being the black phone in a lot of ways than Halloween Kills is at being Halloween Kills. Uh, it's a little bit, you know, hampered by the fact that it is that middle child and it doesn't get to have a big resolution by its very nature. But <clears throat> Evil Dies Tonight was not only lamely executed, but it was on its face an obvious lie. Michael Myers was not going to die in the second movie of his trilogy. Like, that was just not going to happen. It was kind of ridiculous to ask your audience to even suspect that it might. The third movie is just everybody in Haddonfield having a perfectly good Halloween. (laughs) No, no. Uh, so I have a lot of fun with it, and I do think the good outweighs the bad, and middle child problems are no. This is what I want out of a Michael Myers Halloween movie. What is that? Michael Myers killing a shit ton of people in, like, increasingly violent and creative ways. And on that level, I cannot deny it delivers. Yeah. I guess to me, and this is comes with your own rubric, what is the film trying to be and is it closer to being successful? And that's where I kind of had kills in the black phone because the black phone wants to be scary. And I agree that it's not where Halloween kills wants to bathe in its blood and violence and give you joy that way. And it does, but it lacks the tonal consistency and uniformity. Uh, I think that, that maybe the black phone does for me. Um, <clears throat> And I think uh, it, they weren't repeating themselves. Like, it wasn't just sinister over again. It was like trying to be this retro thriller. Um, I think that maybe you and I seeing through the guys, no, this kid is never going to die. That's not how this movie is going to be. They don't have the balls to kill Finn. That's not how this movie is going to end. And I don't know that that's what we want, but um, because we're not worried about it, maybe that takes some of the edge away from the film. Maybe... But um, I it think it, it, I, Derrickson's a capable filmmaker. I love that he almost exclusively plays in the horror genre. Like yeah. he, he didn't get into horror because he could get his foot in the door of Hollywood. He got into horror because he loves horror. <laughs> so I, I, I respect that. Um, yeah, so and, do I. You know, it'll be interesting to see what his next project is because um, maybe because this was based on a pre-existing property, uh, that that might have been part of the difference too but i don't know it was a close thing and again the top three on the list trick halloween kills black phone i think your average horror fan for sure give them a day in court blood fest all hallows eve to taste 
honestly, I think everyone can skip Black Pumpkin. I think Lee and I dove on that grenade to save you from that experience. We did it for you, yeah. dear listeners. For you. No, we don't do this podcast for us. We do that for, for my dozens of listeners. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because we're charitable. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. This was the end of Chapter 2 of our Halloween uh, trilogy. Soon yes. we will have to discuss Halloween ends. Yes. Dun, dun, dun. But speaking of Halloween, happy, happy Halloween. Halloween, Halloween. Happy, happy Halloween. Silver Samrock. Yeah, Silver Samrock. Halloween 3 season of The Witch, the most ridiculous of all Halloween movies. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to end this with, you know, to, to quote Daffy Duck, yikes. And away. Be well, my brother. You too. I think every year should have two Halloweens, or maybe maybe we have Halloween once a month. I don't know. How about it? Let's let's put that out for a vote. Thank you so much for lending your ear to this episode of Rank and Review. I drop every other Wednesday, and I have quite the back catalog to delve into if you're new to the show, so do check me out. Uh, send your feedback to rankandreview at gmail.com, R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. The website is rankandreview.ca. Thanks for listening.